It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Election College, episode number 245, Ulysses S. Grant, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, when we last left Ulysses S. Grant, he is no longer in the military. And the Civil War has just begun, or is just beginning. And, well, Grant is like, you know what? I can't stay away. I'm going back to the Army. And that's what he does. In 1861, he rejoins the Army and quickly starts going through the ranks. In 1862, he takes control of Kentucky. He takes control of most of Tennessee. He takes the forces of the Union to the Battle of Shiloh and has a victory there. And at that point, everybody starts to know him as being really aggressive. He's, um, you know, no surrender grant or something like that. Unconditional surrender grant. That's a, that's what it is. I guess it goes with his name. And uh, this really kind of starts to cement him in American history as one of the great generals of our military. Yeah, the guy, I mean, he divide, essentially divides the Confederacy into two. He controls the Mississippi River. And after that, he's like... Hey, Robert E. Lee, I'm going to defeat you and I'm going to defeat you bad. And you know what happens in April 1865? Lee is like, dude, we lost. And Grant's like, yep, you did. And so the war effectively is over at that point, right? Yep. And historians and you and I will all agree it's because he was a military genius. But other people will say, well, it's just because he was pretty savage and he just went after the Confederacy and had no mercy on them. And you probably say both. Yeah. And there's a ton that we're not covering, obviously, with the Civil War, because like, like we say, anytime we don't want to cover something, we're not a Civil War podcast. <laughs> but uh, know that there is a lot, a lot, a lot to know about Grant's maneuvers and about his different battles and everything. Uh, but for now, we're just kind of doing an overview of his life. Yeah. Yeah, it's a more of a political podcast anyway. Right. But how it ties in with the Civil War is, so five days after Grant accepts Lee's surrender at Appomattox, he attends a cabinet meeting in Washington, D.C. And Abraham Lincoln is all about U.S. Grant at this point. He says, hey, why don't you and the missus come over to Ford's Theater and have a good evening with us at the play? And the Grants are like, ah, sorry, we need to go to Philadelphia. And it was, yes, that very event where John Wilkes Booth assassinates Abraham Lincoln. And a lot of people thought that Booth was trying to go after them. You know, there's a lot of people who went to war with the Confederacy and were leaders against the Confederacy. 
And Grant, he himself thought that maybe he was the target of uh, the assassination attempt, but we may never know. Yeah, so at the end of the war, Grant is still in charge of the army. He's the commander of the army, and he's got all sorts of crazy duties. He's got to meet with, you know, big wigs like Maximilian, who's the um, person in charge of the Mexican Empire at the time. And uh, he meets with the French troops, and he makes sure that Reconstruction is still happening and goes on to make sure that the um, Indian wars on the Western Plains are under control. And there's also time to, you know, get a house. And he gets, ends up getting a house in 1865 for his family. Um, but for legal purposes, he wants his residence to remain in Illinois. And uh, they, he ends up going all around and speaking. And um, lots of people come out and love him and really like what he's doing. and. On July 25th of 1866, Congress promotes Grant to a new rank that they pretty much just made for him called the General of the Army of the United States. Yeah, pretty big deal, this Grant guy. And the relationship that Grant has with Andrew Johnson, it's already strained because let's face it, Grant is a huge Lincoln fan, right? I mean, at the funeral, Grant is crying. And he's saying Lincoln was the best man he ever knew. And Johnson, he's like, this dude, he doesn't respect the African-Americans. He's got a lot of uh, beliefs that I am very much against. Uh, this is a very tense situation. But Congress loves him. Grant, that is. And Congress doesn't like Johnson. So it's going to be okay, right? And in 1868... Grant runs for president for the Republican Party, and he is very popular among the radical Republicans. And the Republicans are like, hey, you got it. First ballot in Chicago. Grant gets all 650 votes. That's how many delegates there were at the convention. And so Grant goes from Chicago down to St. Louis. He inherits his father-in-law's plantation and he straightway demolishes the slave cabins that were there because he wanted to banish the vestiges of slavery. And he was very much running on a platform of, Hey, all people are created equal. And that includes African Americans. So go us grant. So grant wins the election by 300,000 votes. And this is out of about 5.7 million votes that were cast. And uh, he wins the Electoral College in a landslide, 214 to 80. And he's 46 years old, the youngest president up to that point. And really, Grant is elected because one, he's a famous guy. He's, you know, huge in the war department for the for that matter. But he's also got a really solid plan. He's got you know, solid money ideas, uh, ideas about an efficient government. Uh, he wants to make sure that the Southern reconstructed states are restored to the Union. And people like him. And so Grant is also the uh, first president to be elected entirely after the nation has gotten rid of slavery. And he uh, was there for these new rights that are being implemented 
to take effect. And realistically, he helps bring a lot of that in and helps usher a lot of those changes in. And, uh, well, he lost a couple states due to KKK violence against African-American voters. They loved him so much, and the KKK were suppressing them, uh, primarily in Louisiana and Georgia. So you can just imagine that it was quite the interesting time for the country as a whole, but also for Grant as he kind of helped navigate through some of those more touchy racial issues. Yeah. Hey, Ben, did you ever realize this, that Grant nominated James Longstreet to the position of surveyor of customs at the port of new Orleans. <laughs> like that was kind of out of characteristic, but keep in mind, you know, we so often look at the civil war as very black and white, you know, like the North was good and the South was bad, but these generals, they had relationships with each other, you know, like so Longstreet and grant, they were friends at West point. And here they fought against each other. And he's like, well, you know what? I really hate what the Confederacy stood for. But James, I like you as a person. Hey, let's try to unify this nation of ours. And so he did things like that. And that was considered quite shocking to people. And it was quite shocking to me when I first learned that. Yeah. But Grant had a lot of influence despite having a cabinet that wasn't the greatest. <laughs> he probably didn't do the best job of delegating uh, some of the uh, responsibilities in, there in Washington, but he had a lot of influence for generations to come because he appointed four justices to the Supreme court. And um, you see a situation where he is a polarizing figure even more so than Johnson. Cause I mean, let's face it. The whole reason Lincoln had Johnson be his vice president is because he is all about getting the North and South reconciled. Right. And Grant is like, it's an abomination what the South did. We're going to really enforce civil rights. And in a message to Congress in 1874, Grant wrote that they should quote, treat the Negro as a citizen and a voter as he is and must remain as soon parties will be divided, not on the color line, but on principle. So that was very forward thinking because think about it. It was almost a hundred years later that civil rights actually came to fruition in many parts of the country. It's kind of crazy, Jason, because as forward thinking as he was about the African-Americans, he wasn't so much about the Jews. Um, we'll go back a little bit here during the uh, Civil War. He was really concerned that cotton trading was going like all over the all over the place, and he kind of thought that this was, um, you know, really undermining the Union war effort. That the Confederacy was making a bunch of money off of it. Um, Union soldiers are dying out in the fields, etc. So he issues this thing called General Order Number Eleven, and it basically expels Jews as a class from the district and uh, saying that all the Jewish merchants were violating the trade regulations. Well, okay, so that's a pretty bad thing to do, to just get rid of a whole class of people uh, from an area. Um, but later, Lincoln was like, okay, Grant, you have to revoke this. And within about three weeks, he rescinds it. Uh, so for as as you know, helpful as he was to the African-Americans, he was that much hurtful to the, the Jews during that time. 
However, during uh, when he's building his cabinet and everything um, to kind of help rectify that decision, that general order number 11, uh, he starts appointing some Jewish leaders to office. Um, Simon Wolf to recorder of deeds, Edward Solomon to um, the governor of the Washington Territory. And so, you know, that kind of helps bring back his name a little bit, but still got a long way to go there with uh, with the Jewish people. Um, one interesting thing, Jason, when he gets into the White House, there's a statue of Thomas <laughs> Jefferson, and he just gets rid of it <laughs> and sends it over to the Capitol Rotunda. Yeah. Um, very much a staunch Republican <laughs> at the time. And, uh, you know, he did have um, his low points of his presidency where um, you saw the um the economy just tank in 1870 um because of issues with uh, the gold standard um you had some controversies that we've talked about in the administration where people were doing things without grant knowing about it and uh, even in spite of the controversies that existed during his administration in 1872 he is Reelected, and he saw the chief issues of the day as being freedom and fairness for all Americans, and he really wanted to emphasize the benefits of citizenship for freed slaves. And he even did things with the Native Americans to try to integrate them uh, with the white man, and he um, placed a a large. Um, effort into education programs uh, for um, for the Native people. So we go through Grant's second term as president, not without controversy, but without anything too incredibly major for a while. Uh, there is the Panic of 1873 that comes about, uh, and partially due to the Coinage Act of 1873, which basically says you can't use both silver and gold as money. Um, pretty much only going to have the gold standard in place. And this kind of upsets some of the economics of the day. And also, um, you know, there's some other things, of course, that really set those things into motion, such as the uh, Northern Pacific Railway and uh, things like that. So, it kind of does put a little bit of a damper on his presidency, but also, you know, there's some additional corruption that happens during that time. Anytime you have massive wealth and industry and things like that, uh, you know, speculation on railroads and that kind of crazy stuff, it's going to create some scandals. And so, you know, Grant, as far as we know, wasn't involved in any of those scandals, but a lot of people in his administration and things like that were. So by the time, that Grant, um, his term is over, he's not terribly well-liked. And not that they don't like Grant, but they certainly don't like the corruption that goes along with him. Yeah. So 1876 rolls around, and keep in mind that he could have totally run for a third term because that was something you could do prior to the 1940s. Grant decides not to run for the Republican convention. Instead, um, Rutherford B. Hayes from Ohio takes the Republican ticket and eventually defeats Samuel Tilden in that election. But uh, during all of that time, in, um, but during all of that time uh, when he was 
what we would call a lame duck, he did um, have this reassuring uh, presence about him uh, to the nation that, you know what, everything's going to be okay. Yeah, we've had some scandals. The economy, it's tanked. But you know what, I've seen all this happen before. I've seen much worse. And uh, after he leaves the White House, the Grants decide, "Ah, let's chill for a couple of months and then go on a world tour. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, They head up to Philadelphia and set sail for England. And they go to uh, all different locations in the Mediterranean. They go to the Far East. They meet Queen Victoria. Uh, They meet the Pope uh, as well as other uh, leaders. He even goes to uh, Jerusalem and the Holy Land. And one advantage you have by being an ex-president is the Navy will take you from port to port. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so they end up coming back to America and a bunch of stalwarts um, see that, well, he's really popular. I mean, we know he wasn't popular when he was going out of office, but we could probably get some power back here in uh, 1880 at the at the election if we bring back Grant. And a lot of people who didn't like that were like, okay, look, we don't have a real rule, but we have this kind of norm that people aren't going to serve more than two terms. So could we not do this? And Grant's like, I'm not saying anything, but, but I want the job and encourages some of his close allies to go out and uh, kind of solicit for him in a, in a sense. Uh, so at the convention that year, Grant is nominated. There's a big elegant speech. And the most famous line of that speech is, when asked which state he hails from, our sole reply shall be, he hails from Appomattox and its famous apple tree. And uh, there's 370 votes you need to get for the nomination. First ballot goes through with Grant at 304. But after a while, it turns out he just can't get it. He can't get enough votes. And after 36 ballots, Representative James Garfield of Ohio ends up getting the nomination. Yeah, the compromise candidate. So, yeah, Grant is there. I mean, he's he's kind of the elder statesman now of the country. But guess what? He's really poor. (laughs) He just goes back to these bad business decisions. And, you know, you could say, well, hey, he got to travel the world. But he also depleted most of his savings, and he didn't have a place to live. So friends kind of took care of him. Uh, some of his friends got together and bought a bought a house for him in um, Manhattan, and he just kind of stayed um, there in New York and realized that oh my goodness, what is his poor family going to do? Because he owed a lot of people a lot of money. Um, because of his bad business sense. And what ended up happening is he wrote several articles um, for the Century Magazine at $500 an article. So he wrote about his experiences in the war and his life. And um, that's how he made his living. Kind of weird to think about that, isn't it? I mean, would we ever have such a revered... Uh, political figure uh, in the present who would struggle so much. But um, 
in the summer of 1884, he's complaining of a sore throat. Um, he's like, ah, everything's okay. But by the time October comes around, he goes to a doctor and they learn that it's cancer. He's got throat cancer and it's probably because he liked to smoke cigars. He was probably a chain cigar smoker. Like a chimney. So Grant decides he's not going to tell Julia about his condition, but she soon finds out from the doctor. And um, Grant was uh, invited to a service by the Methodist Church for Civil War veterans, and he gets a standing ovation from more than 10,000 veterans and other people. Uh, That ends up being his last public appearance, and... Later, this is interesting, the New York Times actually announces that U.S. Grant is dying of cancer. And, of course, the whole nation is you know concerned and mourning and things like that. And everybody kind of knows that Grant and Julia are not very well off at this point. And Congress is like, hey, you know what? Why don't we bring you back to be the general of the Army? And you'll get full retirement pay. And, um, yeah, so Grant is pretty upset that he doesn't want to have to be worried and broke all the time and doesn't want to leave Julia with just a a very little amount of money to live on after the fact. So uh, Grant ends up getting a book contract, or at least he gets offered a book contract that only has a 10% royalty. Later, Mark Twain's like, "Uh, how about I give you a book deal and give you a 75% royalty, which is just insane. And so Grant ends up working on all his memoirs and everything and, um, well, he works on his memoirs right up until uh, a few days before he dies. Yeah. So it turns out that his family is pretty well set because of his writing. And I, Ben, I heard, I have not read the memoirs, but I've heard that it's actually a very good read and very readable. Nice. Uh, the way he wrote that. But he um, he got quite the quite the send off. I don't know if that's a, a very reverent way of saying it, but um, 1.5 million people at his New York funeral yeah, and in other ceremonies uh, around the country, he was eulogized um, and likened to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. So um, another interesting thing is that Grant's tomb is the largest mausoleum in North America. I had no idea. It's insane. Is it? I've never I've, seen it. I've never been there. I've seen pictures of it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's gigantic from what I understand. And if you go inside, uh, just like the he and Julia's graves, their, uh, their coffins are up on pedestals and everything. And just kind of, you know, almost like a, a shrine there in the middle of the, the mausoleum. Huh. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah. So if any of you have been to Grant's tomb, share us. Share a picture with us. We like to see your pictures of presidential stuff. Absolutely. Anything else about Grant, Ben? No, I think that's about it. I mean, what a guy. Kind of a crazy legacy, and but mostly revered. Yeah. It's it's just strange to me how somebody can be such a, uh, a strong leader militarily, but yet as a private businessman, just not. You just... Couldn't do it, but (laughs) we don't remember him for that. And lo and behold, he's on money. True. Absolutely. Hey, you know what else is money? 
it costs money to buy ugly Christmas sweater t-shirts, <laughs> <laughs> but not a whole lot of money. For only 20 bucks ish you can buy a ugly Christmas sweater t-shirt from Jason and I for your, well, pretty much anything you would want to wear an ugly Christmas sweater for. Doesn't even have to be Christmas time. Go over to electioncollege.com slash Christmas, and you'll be able to check out the entire collection there. Most of them, if you're worried about shipping, are even prime shipping on Amazon. So you'll get it in two days. You'll have it in time for Christmas if you buy it the day this episode is released. Oh, wow. That's quite a that'd be quite a cool thing to get in the mail, I think. Agreed. I get so excited when I get packages. Oh, me too. Man. and To the extent when that when my wife like takes the mail, when she gets the mail from the, the slot, I'm like, hey, I wanted to do that. That was that was that's what brings me joy every day. <laughs> so weird. Remember when that was like that for email? Yeah, I got an email. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> You've got mail. Oh, that was awesome. Hey, and while you're surfing on the internet, hopefully your internet speed is a little bit better than mine was in 1999. Uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a little rating and review. We'd certainly appreciate that. And while you're while you're giving us that positive rating, you know, you can interact with us over on social media. Because believe it or not, we are, even even in spite of our famous state, uh, we still interact with people on social media. Go figure. Definitely. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.